I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It really felt like the same things if I was working with a client, but what I had to do was stop working with my clients so that I could write. And that was very difficult. Um, so I did have to put aside time. I literally had to take myself out of my office, out of my house, um, go to a hotel and just be immersed in the distractionless environment where I could write. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Stacy Gordon. Stacy, as you will discover, is an incredible lady and an incredible lady that is talking to us about bias. The title of her book is Unbiased. And I love having these conversations because they're great reminders to us you know, to reflect on how we see the world, what our worldviews are, how we've come to be conditioned, and why we think the way we think. Many times in the world, we are too reactive as opposed to being reflective. This is an opportunity for us to reflect on why we see the world and how we can participate in creating a safe world for everyone to have equity, all right? She's an incredible woman, as I said earlier. Her background is, is fascinating. I will encourage you to get her book, and also check out every other thing that she is participating in. She is, you know, obviously being requested by a lot of organizations. So if you do a search of Stacy Gordon online, you'd be sure to see a lot of her writings, a lot of her videos. And hey, an opportunity to learn and pass on some more knowledge. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Stacy Gordon. Now Stacy coaches and counsels executive leaders on DEI strategies that's diversity, equity and inclusion for business while offering a no-nonsense approach to education for a broader employee population. Her book on bias, addressing the conscious bias at work, debuted at number one on Amazon hot new release list and is also available at Barnes and Nobles or wherever books are sold. We're going to be talking about the process of writing the book, why we need to understand unconscious bias at work and her career at large. Welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be invited to do this. Uh, well, you know, you know, we, 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 we have the same publisher and we've been in the uh, you know, in the same orbit, if you will, for, for, for a little bit. So uh, congrats on the book. And thank uh, you. And I know you're making rounds, but I got to ask you, why did you want to write about bias, unconscious bias? You know, I, I lived it, right? I, I live it. I can't even say past tense. Um, and so I think that just seeing the, the difference, um, you know, seeing how 
it has affected my life personally and then also seeing how it affects other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been um, been interested, right, in, in thinking about bias and, and leaning into it. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason that people have always said that, you know, for, for us as Black individuals, uh, that we have to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. And I think the unfairness and the inequity in that statement has always bothered me. <laughs> Well, you, you say you lived it and you live it. Do you remember the first time you really felt some sort of, I guess, microaggression or something that was a reaction towards bias based on your gender identity, identity as, as a Black woman, or in general, anything relating to your identity? Yeah, the one that sticks out the most for me, and I don't know how old I was. I must have been, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe eight. And um, I just remember I used to play with this kid who lived across the street from me. And so I was out um, with my bike and waiting for him to come out and he took forever. And then one day he he finally comes out and he says, um, my mom said, I can't play with you anymore because you're black. And he went back in the house. You know what I, I always tell because I, I always uh, in, in my book I wrote something similar about a kid pointing out my hair. Uh, it was just a grade you know, you know above me, and he said my hair is weird and it curls like a ball, and he had this look of disgust in his face. And <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh, yo, these kids I, I, at such a young age, there's no filter, you know, there's no awareness necessarily uh, by what they're saying. They just think, ah, well. This is not what I know. And it's not, quote unquote, the norm or the standard, which I, I think it's the interesting thing to, to acknowledge there that all the norms and standard don't always fit everyone's identity. In fact, they, you know, they, uh, they advantage some identity based on the power dynamics. And so it was interesting uh, how parents can play a big role into the story that becomes right. an adult's life. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that always sticks out. I remember I had a red bike. <laughs> and then you decide and, and then how did you process that I, I don't really remember it just I just remember being like okay I guess so all right I don't have a friend anymore <laughs> you know but <laughs> um, it was already like a, it was a predominantly white neighborhood there were no other black people um yeah, yeah. so it was like, oh, all right, this this is what we're doing. <laughs> well, let's, let's process, let's process, let's fast forward rather to your adult years, right? And so now you 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 know you have this no nonsense approach. I, I imagine a lot of your no nonsense approach stems from you seeing what can happen when you sugarcoat the the idea of what's really going on. But uh, why did you decide to go down this route of working in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, I, you know, I've always had a focus on it, right? I just innately have always focused because it's it's uh, in the statistics that show that that when you have women uh, in power at work, right, that they create more equitable workplaces. And I think the same would be true if we did a study that for people of color, it's the same because we we've been there. Like there is this pervasive thought that you know, if black people rise up, they're going to treat white people the same way that they have treated us. And it's like, nah. I don't think so. Like, that's not the, like, when you have been oppressed and you see what that's like, you're not usually in a hurry to turn around and do it to other people. Now, there's a whole difference when you talk about violence and things like that, what's going on in Israel, right? But I think when, I don't think that 
there is this, this view that we have to, you know, do unto others as they have done unto you. I think that we realize that there's a better way um, to work in the workplace. And so I used to work in recruiting. I love recruiting. Um, I still enjoy it. I just don't do it because I realized it is a, it's a small segment, right, of, um, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's not the whole thing. It's not the big picture. It's like one piece of the puzzle. And so spending my time focusing on a, in on that one piece of the puzzle made me realize that like the rest of the picture wasn't getting filled in. Um, and so that's what made me switch uh, to diversity, equity, inclusion, because I would see as a recruiter the way that I would have to jump through extra hoops to get Black people hired, people with an accent, people who were immigrants. Um, and it just, it really pissed me off, frankly. And I was like, enough of this, you know, I'm, as a recruiter, I'm helping to contribute to this cycle because I'm putting people into these jobs where I have no control or any uh, say in how they're treated once they get there. And so what I did do at first was I would only work with companies that I knew, or at least I had some thought treated people better. Um, but that also limited my my income <laughs> ability, right? It's like, you only work with this small segment of, of companies <laughs> that actually treat humans like humans. Um, so I realized that we just really need to work on getting all companies to treat humans like humans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about, obviously, what happened in 2020. And <laughs> even though what happened in 2020 has is, is been happening throughout history it was uh it, <laughs> for some it was like a wake-up call right it was like oh shoot no yes that's what we've been saying and a lot of demand started to you know you know there was a lot of demand for people in our field but i, I said this to many people i think for me what i used with that demand you know after coming out and giving myself some self-care was I just wanted to make sure that I was being intentional about the companies I was working with, because I think there is that rush to be reactive, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to, to be performative, essentially. And I think that actually works against bias because it doesn't let you address the real issue, whatever your bias may be. And then when I think and reflect back to my biases and the biases that I, I'm constantly working through, when I put myself in a position where I'm comfortable or where I'm centering myself at the expense of the thing I need to work towards, I don't really get to work on it. Uh, and so I wonder if you can always tell when a company is being performative as opposed to, to, to being willing to do the work. You can. I mean, sometimes it's really flagrant and right up front, right? <laughs> um, and, and sometimes it takes a little digging. You just have to ask a few questions. Um, and, uh, and even for me, I realized to actually dig deeper, you know, um, I would ask the question, why do you want to tackle diversity, equity, inclusion in your workplace? Why do you think unconscious bias education is the thing that you need to do? And then the answer that I get over and over again is, well, like everyone else, you know, George Floyd died and it, it really brought up our, our awareness and we realized we needed to do something. And for a while, I was okay with that answer. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, no, that's not sufficient, right? Like, it's like, try again without mentioning George Floyd. <laughs> try again without mentioning George Floyd. <laughs> Yo, that is such a good way to, oh my gosh, that is amazing to say that. I love that you said that because, uh, yeah, that really caused them to think. So 
yeah, try again with that message with Floyd. So carry on. Yeah, and and the the what I get is blank stares, right? Mm. Um, and and I don't do it to to shame or to judge, but to to identify the point that you haven't thought past that, right? There, there's no thinking. There's no deeper connection. There's, it's just, oh, this thing happened, and then, then we should do this. Like, kind of like, like you said, it's just, and in many instances, it's not that it's performative. It's just that when you've never, ever had to think about these things because they don't affect you, it's difficult now, right? You're like, wait, what? I have to, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, try it again. Ah, <laughs> right oh, gosh. This is, okay. Well, okay. The, the, the audience is probably curious about this because you wrote a book on this, you know, how to address it at work on bias. Are there any things that you can share, you know, as people are going back and figuring out whether they want to be, you know, in a hybrid format, stay virtual, go back in person. What are the typical frameworks to address unconscious bias at work? Well, the, the book itself is based on a four-phase framework, right? So as you said, everyone wants to, to, they're reactive and they want to jump into action. Action is the third step. It's not the first. Um, and so the I wrote the book because I wanted people to see that you have got to really reflect. You've got to be introspective. you got to give me a reason other than George Floyd was murdered, <laughs> right? And the only way you can do that is by starting with looking at your organization, not looking at Google, not looking at Facebook, not looking at Apple and what they've done, but looking at your company, which requires that these leaders, um, HR, right? People managers, you've got to start looking at the data, right? You've got to go back and look at exit interviews. Why have people been leaving? You got to go back and look at complaints that have been filed. Have they actually been resolved? Or did those people who made those complaints that they all left the company now? right? Where are they now? Um, <laughs> like there's questions that you really have to answer and you can't do that by looking outward. You do have to look at your company and most people don't want to do the hard look uh, because they know that it's going to uncover things that are not great because it's based on how we're all socialized, right? It's based on society's behaviors and, um, and, and we're not saying that we, we, we're coming in and expecting that we're going to solve racism through your company, right? That's not the goal, and it's, it's never been the objective. Um, but what is the objective is, can your employee state, or if you're an employee in a company, can you state that you feel like you belong in this workplace, that you are heard, that your ideas are listened to, that you have equal opportunity for advancement, Right, like that you're not on a performance improvement plan because you came in late twice, but yet your counterpart who happens to be white is late every day and no one says anything to her, right? <laughs> yeah, huh. And, and so that, that point of reflection, that point of assessment, and then those two things help hold this level of accountability where you recognize that your company is gonna have a different journey than another journey, than another company's journey. And right. as you're able to reflect on maybe past employees and current employees, you can potentially create that safe environment. At least that is the, the, the goal, honestly, if that's, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, a, it's then the, the beginnings of a, a map, right? 
for you to then take action. But you can take action when you don't know who you're taking action for, why you're doing it, right? You're just off willy-nilly just doing things. And I think the other thing is that people assume that because we come into a company that we're coming in to wag our fingers and say, you're bad, this is terrible, you're awful. It's like, no, sometimes we, we want to look really to evaluate objectively and say, hey, this is working, keep doing it. But this part over here, eh, you know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's fix it. <laughs> uh okay okay yeah no that's fair that's fair uh i, I tend to agree um with the with with the transition well you're not transitioning because you're 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 a respected consultant in the field i guess with the addition rather of being an author and and, and researcher in the field how, how did that work for you i'm always curious about this because I, i'm a creative as well and i always want to know if there was a mindset shift as you were writing and if you had to you know find time within your day to to use a different part of your brain or if you felt like it was the same thing as if you were working with a client? Um, it really felt like the same things if I was working with a client, but what I had to do was stop working with my clients so that I could write. <laughs> and that was very difficult. Um, so I did have to put aside time. I literally had to take myself out of my office, out of my house, um, go to a hotel and just be immersed in the distractionless environment where I could write. Um, I would turn off my email, like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> gonna get you turn off the email, you with the look? <laughs> well, because I, I would tell myself, like, don't, don't even look. Because if I looked at it, um, you know, you just start to get sucked in to, to the work. And then before you know it, I spent two hours answering emails and responding to things instead of writing. Um, so I did. I probably took three or four chunks of time where I just said, bye family, bye team. Discipline. <laughs> Don't talk to discipline. me. For... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the reason I brought that up, a lot of the listeners in, in, for this podcast, and I've been doing this since 2014, and I remember when I started this, uh, a lot of people, even though they might not be interested in what we do as consultants and practitioners, they're interested in building a career based on their passion. You've done that. Right. You, 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 you have the lived experience of what it's like to, to be discriminated against or have several um, uh, bias situations against you. You put in uh, the work to turn that lived experience into a career. Now you, you, you're also a thought leader with a book to back it up. Are there steps that you can break down for the audience who are maybe interested in doing something similar in a different field where they understand their lived experience and they want to translate that into a career to help other people? Ooh, good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I try, yeah, I try, I try, I try, you know. Years of studying Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, lucky for you. Um, I, I have a very, very background. I think it's why I'm such a chameleon because um, I, I did, I used to actually um, give of business entrepreneurship classes for people. Um, and my, my MBA is actually in entrepreneurship mm. uh, from, from Pepperdine. And because I knew I wanted to start a business. Okay. I knew from um, I knew from back when I went to law school before I dropped out, to why I should not have gone to law school. <laughs> wow. But I, I think that knowing uh, your path a little bit is helpful, but also even if you don't know it, right? Like I knew I wanted to start a business at some point, but I don't think I knew what. And so 
it is really paying attention to what are the lived experiences that you have that can be of help. Um, and, you know, I spent time also as a career coach. Um, I actually have a course on LinkedIn's online learning on how to make a career change. And the, the piece of advice that I give people, which I think ties into what you're asking is in terms of this lived experience, you've got to, you really have to do the work as well, right? Like the framework can work for you too. You need awareness. <laughs> yes. You need to first figure out, well, what have I done, right? How can you build a business off of lived experience when you have not really sat down and cataloged that lived experience? So um, when I'm doing it from a career change, I would normally tell people, go look at your resume, right? Think of all the jobs you've ever had and write down all the stuff you've done, everything, write it down, all the tasks from getting coffee to writing reports to analyzing data to whatever, all of that, look at it. And then what I would tell people to do is to circle all of the things that they loved doing, right? All the things you enjoyed, circle them. And then highlight the things that you're good at and put a red line through the things that you hate doing and never want to do again in life, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're done, you have this piece of paper that should have uh, highlights and circles around the same tasks. That's where you start because then you can look at that and say, well, what does that tell me? What story is this data telling me? Here are all these things that I am both good at and enjoy doing what type of work could I do that comes out of that? And you'll be surprised, you'll find also that some of the things that are both circled and crossed out um, could be the same because sometimes you are really good at doing something that you hate. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's the reason that people will come to you and say, oh, Stacey, could you, could you, you know, work on this Excel spreadsheet for me? And it's like, I hate Excel, I hate it but I'm good at it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and this is how people get stuck in jobs doing things they hate and they can't seem to get out of because yeah. you might be really good at something, but it just sucks your soul. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. And so there's that level of honoring your, your passion, but also your soul, uh, which is, which is, which, you know, sometimes it might not always be the it might not always be what you want to hear when you have to figure out if you're so impassioned aligned. And it, then you, you get to that point where you might need to do, speaking of bias, do the uncomfortable thing and put yourself in a position where you might need to either develop a skill set you know that you're really passionate about, you can grow into, or stay in a place that you're already comfortable with and deal with that. But if you're in a bias situation where you could stay in an environment where it, it, it only suits you or put yourself in an uncomfortable position where you fight for people that are different from you, but at the end, it helps the, the world at large and the company at large. Each of those have trade-offs, but one helps your soul and one might just help you for the meantime, short term. Right. I didn't just draw correlations. I'm just, it's just... It's just, uh, I just thought of it when you were, you were saying that because uh, it seems like there's always that parallel with awareness and putting yourself in an uncomfortable position, regardless of whether it's bias or your passion. Well, and I think it's because I just, I grew up that way. Like I'm, I am comfortable mm -hmm. being uncomfortable because I've just always lived, that is literally my lived experience. I have been uncomfortable my whole life. Um, because like I said, I grew up in an area where it was 
it was all white people, right? Yeah. And I was black. And I'm living in a place where white kids are telling me they can't play with me because I'm black. It's the same neighborhood where I would come home from school and people would throw stuff at me. They would call me the N-word, right? Like, I did not live in comfort. Um, I went to a school, like I said, where I was basically one of maybe two or three Black kids in our whole, you know, five, six grades, however many there were. And um, I remember my mom having to come up to the school because my white teacher was um, frustrated with me because I was smarter than everybody else in the class. Yeah. by far right and this is not just ego this is like you know they have those little math worksheets you used to have to go through I had worked through all the worksheets everybody else was still on like worksheet two and three I had worked through all of them I had nothing left to do and so I would just read I would literally sit in the corner and read a book and he was frustrated with me because I was reading this book and took it out of my hand and threw it in the trash <laughs> I went home and told my mother and she came up to the school and was like, um, I'm sorry, what happened? <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. No, but that makes sense. You know, you've had a lifetime of, of being in, in these positions. And it's funny, as a kid, at least with me, when, when I was always in those positions, it's hard to see past those positions. I think, you know, I used to be just why me, why me? And then, you know, with perspective, uh, you start to understand that this is actually training you for uh, a much larger, larger day. And if you believe in destiny and, and following your, 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 your soul, like you, like you brought up earlier, you, you can see that you're you know, being trained, what it is uniquely skilled at. Uh, but it, it is not always easy. You, you, you're right. Because it does feel alienated, which is one of the reasons you wrote the book, because what, what your bias does sometimes is, is it shields you from the alienating experiences of other people, especially because of the privilege that comes with whatever power dynamic you might have. 
right? You know, right. I can say this as a straight guy, for example, we were, we're just wrapping up Pride Month. This will come out after Pride Month, but the, at the time of recording, it's Pride Month. There are many instances where, you know, as a straight man, I have to understand different lived experiences. And if I don't ask questions or, or center um, uh, people in the LGBTQIA plus community, I am possibly taking um, uh, or minimizing the experience by, you know, whether the way I'm talking, talking in a heteronormative way and those things. And th those type of things can also apply to, to race, to gender identity, to nationality, to, to immigration, right. to multiple things. And it's all those things that, 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 that we need to work on. Otherwise, we just center ourselves. Right, right. And, and realizing that, yeah, it's not always all about us. It's okay to step in and um, learn more about others, be comfortable with others, and that we don't always have to understand it. Like I just did, um, I did a LinkedIn Live. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn, please do. Please do. Uh, I do a lot of different um, LinkedIn uh, Live events. And I did one, actually, we did one, which was really cool. I should put them up somewhere. I got to find them. I think they're on my YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, if, you, if you follow her on LinkedIn, don't say it's surprisingly informative or surprisingly interesting because that's, those are the backhanded compliments that she's gotten in the past. But, you know, yes. I, I remember reading about that. <laughs> but, but yes, carry on. I know you were talking about your LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, yes. I have gotten those comments. Um, but yeah, so I did a LinkedIn Live um, with... Um, a with, with Shane, right? And so Shane's pronouns are Z here, here's. So we did a whole conversation around pronouns. And so then later I was talking to somebody else about this and they were saying, well, I'm too old to be, you know, dealing with that and people know me and, and they just accept that, you know, I can't get it. Hmm. And I said, you know, I kind of used to think that too, right? But that's our privilege talking. We have to realize that you don't have to understand why someone uses different pronouns than you. They don't owe you an explanation, right? It's not about you coming in and saying, well, explain it to me, make it make sense. Who cares? None of your business. You, you have been told this is this person's pronouns, use them, period, end of story, right? If you want to go on and learn more and educate yourself, great, but it is not for that person to have to explain to you and justify why their pronouns are their pronouns. And I had to get over that myself. And once I did, I was like, the light bulb came on, right? It's like, it's not, it's not for us to judge. And that is really, I think, how I try to live my life with everything. And it's not my place. <laughs> if, if you apply that to any other thing in, in the world, if, if someone said, you know, you need to explain to me why you're straight. In fact, I don't want to put this in the movie. You know, I don't want to show romantic interest or anything because to me, I just don't understand why you want to kiss a woman or a man. And I don't know why you do that. In fact, don't have a girlfriend or boyfriend in school. Just keep that at home. I, I know other people would be like, wait, what? <laughs> you're telling me I can't be myself? And then that's that point there. You're telling me I can't be myself is the natural reaction to when someone is, is, is perceived is trying to take away something from you. So why do we feel like we can do that to other people? You know, that's why I, that's the approach I always take, you know, because well, we're socialized I'll, 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 to do it. Yeah, exactly. Because I'll, I'll have them critically think through that and walk through the point where they say, you're telling me I can't be myself. And I say, well, bingo. That's the same thing for the other person. 
you unless right. you're saying yourself is the only self that needs to be <laughs> well it's the, it's the whole flip it to test it thing right it's like yeah. with everything yeah um you know if you walk into a room and you're like well why can't i just say hi guys okay fine walk into the room and say hi girls yeah how does that sound yes <laughs> you know we, we if become... you're okay with that then go with it then yeah then do <laughs> right? it all the time <laughs> Um, you, you know, with, I was, uh, I was doing some research with you because I like to do research and, um, you said something about unconscious bias credit because it, it's gotten mixed reviews, you know, in recent years. And you said with unconscious bias training, you enjoy doing it. You think it's needed, but it isn't always the first step. It's definitely not the only step. And you're firmly in the camp of unconscious bias training doesn't work unless you create accountability and provide ongoing education accountability and ongoing education. So you're even saying, even with your book and with your expertise, if there isn't a plan to be held accountable and for further trainings or for the education, it might be useless. Not might, it will be. Ah, right. will be. You know, I, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to put it <laughs> I was like, let me just open a crack. <laughs> it will, yes. Yeah, so. it, it will be because if we aren't paying attention, like I said, if you come in and you say, I want to do unconscious bias education, like I'm the self-proclaimed queen of unconscious bias education. And I can't even say self-proclaimed, right? Because my course on LinkedIn learning, it is the second highest viewed course across the entire LinkedIn learning platform. Right. Like, thank you. There's like, I don't know, 650 million people on LinkedIn. And I think 10% of them are on the LinkedIn learning platform. Some people don't know they have access to it. You do have access to LinkedIn learning. Um, <laughs> and that course, you know, people watch it. It is watched around the world. There are, it's got, it's translated into four languages, right? I think they're working on a couple of additional translations. So yes. Am I going to tell you, don't do unconscious bias education? Maybe, right? I'm going to tell you, don't do it as a first step if you don't have a plan for follow-up. Yeah. Because when I go into a company and I provide unconscious bias education, the first question I am always asked by employees is what's next? That's right. This is great. What's next? Awesome. So what's the plan? Right? Yeah. I don't work for your company. So you need to tell me the plan because I'm not going into an unconscious bias education session without knowing the plan so that they can see how this session ties into what you're doing. If you just do unconscious bias education and you don't have a plan, even if you don't know what the plan is, you need to have a plan to have a plan, <laughs> right? Yeah. There has to be follow-up. <laughs> no, I'm with you. It's the same. I have the same approach. And I'm, I'm glad that you're reiterating that because it, it's so true. It's, it's even with anything, you know, I, I love sports, for example. Uh, and if you only taught someone how to shoot one day, you know, they might, you know, hey, do the shooting drills in one day, we'll get it. And then you never did it again. And then the game came four weeks later. You, there's no way that person is going to be able to be the type of shooter you wanted to be because you only taught them for one day. <laughs> right. And so you're like, oh, I told you what to do. Why are you messing up? I was like, yeah, but I, I didn't repeat. I didn't, it's not in my head. It's, it's I still have the old habits. That's what happened. Not only that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, the, the understanding or the, the expectation, the unrealistic expectation that someone's going to sit down for a 90 minute, two hour, half day, whatever workshop, right? On unconscious bias and is somehow going to come out 
and be free of bias is so unrealistic because first of all, you can't be free of bias. And second of all, you can't retrain people in such a short amount of time. So no matter what it is, forget unconscious bias, anything, right? Learning Spanish, taking, like you said, sports, there's nothing that you can do in 90 to 120 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That is somehow going to change lives, right? For me, unconscious bias education is literally an awareness builder. That's all it is. It is building the awareness that something needs to change. One thing that we need to raise awareness on is uh, hiring, right? I know one thing that you hate is the use of the term hiring the best candidate or meritocracy or most qualified person. Now that- I'm rolling my eyes. I know you're rolling your eyes, but but that (laughs) that statement is is one that I know as a consultant that many people can't get past, even if they claim to be allies or advocates because in their head, of course I want to hire the most qualified person. In fact, the argument would be, yeah, I, I don't care about the race or gender identity or any of that, but I just want the most qualified person. And, and why does this one drive you bonkers if, if someone is saying that and they're saying, well, this has nothing to do with race. I'm just talking about qualifications. There's only one specific set. There's only a specific set of skills that are needed for this job. And I need to look for that. Well, first of all, I want to say bullshit. Wait, can I say that? Can I say <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, yeah, you can. So that's what I want to say. Um, but because I'm professional, I don't. <laughs> that's usually what comes in my head first. But yeah. the, here's the thing. There is no one best candidate for the job, right? There is no one best there are several people who could do the job. And your job is to pick one of those several people who could do the job because there's only one job opening, right? So it is ridiculous for us to think that there's one best candidate for the job. There just isn't. So many people could do the job. Your job is to pick the different, you know, to p- pick someone who can fill in. I think the other thing is that it's like, okay, your managers, all of your managers are white and male. So you're trying to tell me every time, every single time, the best person for the job has been a white man every time. Like when I say it out loud like that, do you realize how ridiculous it sounds <laughs> for you to say that and for you to believe that, right? And for you to reiterate that over and over again? Yeah. So it is just, it's, it, it's insulting, frankly, to every person who is not a white male. Right. And, it, and it, this is not to, again, to deride or to take away from white men. But let's be real. There are a lot of mediocre white men doing jobs that they would not have gotten if they were not white. Or, you know, if you aren't, there's, there's something to be said about opportunity and place and, you know, some idea of, you know, people of color or, or black folks, immigrants, people put in positions where if they fail, that's the only chance they have, right? And if right. other, you know, uh, yeah, you talk about white males or, or people who often have the privilege of failing upward, right? You feel like, ah, well, we'll get another chance. And you said there's something you said about gaslighting here. There's some gaslighting that comes with the, from the meritocracy argument because it says the someone with a harder or less smooth road didn't get as far because they didn't work as hard and not because they had more obstacles in their way, which is frustrating to say the least. And I think that's the part that is missed out on the most because even if someone became quote unquote, the most qualified candidate, chances are they had many 
you know, opportunities to be able to become that qualified candidate. And then when you finally get the interview, you know, a black woman, a black trans person or, or anyone in that position, there was, they, they, that was, this is probably the first time <laughs> that they got that opportunity. You, you haven't given them the chance to develop the way the other person might have been developed right. because of that. And then you, you call that meritocracy. Right. Yeah. And it, it just, it's, I think that is the, the sad part. Like, that's the part that makes me really frustrated and angry. And, uh, um, but I think I do this work and um, really candidly, I am doing this work because, yes, I want to make a difference. Um, in the workplace, but I realized that if we change the way people behave in the workplace, it can trickle over to how they behave outside of work as well, right? We spend a ton of time in work. So if we can change it in work, then it, it, it might change in church. It might change, um, you know, at dinner. It might change at the, the baseball game, right? It might change it, well, on the sidelines of, of the soccer game. So those are all things uh, that I think about and, um, I think the, the biggest inequity that I see that I really would love to work towards uh, making a change in, but it's going to need some serious funding, is in the way that we deal with, uh, with, with foster children. And so that's a whole other, like, I wanted to get into it, but it's always there in the back of my mind as the thing I'm working towards, um, because I feel like if we're going to fix inequities, I'm like, oh, there's a place. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you're right. We're, we're talking to Stacey A. Gordon, the author of the new book, Unbiased, Addressing Unconscious Bias at Work. Where can people get your book? They can get my book uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite Black-owned or female-owned bookstore. Um, I do know that some of the smaller um, bookstores have sold out for a little bit, but I think they have restocked. So uh, feel free to try them first. We always want to support our independent booksellers. Um, you can go to unbiasedbook.com, which is my site, and it will point you to the various areas. You can buy them for your team, right? We've got lots of clients that have been buying um, hundreds of uh, copies to give to their employees. So we appreciate all of those individuals. <laughs> Love that. Make sure I put that in the show notes. And the last question I always ask my guest, Stacy, is my mission statement reframed as a question. So Stacy, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Yes. Oh, goodness. It, it, it's so funny that you asked that question because I guess it's not because you do it all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked you for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, I think for me, I, 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 we didn't get into the whole conversation around covering, right. And what that's like in the workplace and having to hide identities. And I realized that um, one of the differences I had, right. I actually lost because I didn't recognize it's important. And that was my accent, right? I had a British accent. I don't have a British accent anymore. Mm. Um, and I think that when we look at the difference, especially when we are people of color, um, we, we see our color is different. And we see these things and we see it as something bad. We see it as something we have to hide. We have to downplay. And I think um, I've realized that we have to step into that. We have to own it. Um, and that we can do that. And I think for people who feel like they don't have difference, you know, I'm gonna pick on the white guys again. And it's like, oh, well, I'm a white guy. I don't have a difference. Yes, you do, right? We all have difference. And that's the thing is that in many times you haven't had to think about it. So think about it, identify the difference and look at how you can use that to, 
to make a difference as well, right? So for me, it really is understanding that my difference, me being black, me being female, is not a hindrance. Um, it is actually a way for me to role model the way that we should all be working in the workplace. Love it, love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I'm excited to get this episode out. Thank you. All right. Well, till next time, kings, queens, and royalty, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.